0: You know, everybody's got that year of of, a school somewhere in between, I guess, maybe about sixth and ninth grade that uh, is just not their year. You know know which one I'm talking about, right? You know, I I mean, it happens somewhere in, I don't know if you call it middle school or junior high. What do you call it here? Is it middle school here? Yeah? Okay. It was middle school there, too. I mean, it just kind of depended on whether you did sixth through eighth grade or seventh through ninth or or whatever, but... uh, you know everybody's got that year that just kind of doesn't go. It's just not their year. You know, you know, chalk it up to adolescence. Chalk it up to whatever. Right. Um, seventh grade was my year, right? And and it, for a number of reasons. Okay. Um, probably one was because I think I shot up like a foot and change uh, that year, um, and and uh, that didn't help. Uh, I developed this thing known as a pimple, and then I got another one, and a, and a, whole, and a whole heck a of lot of them. Um, I didn't even know really where they came from. They just started showing up, right? And then I got hit with the real, like the big one, the the, the double shot of, uh, of of this realization that there was this thing called girls. Yeah. And that also came with the realization that I was a geek. (laughs) And when you put those two things together, that creates a lot of of interesting times, right? Oh, yeah. But to kind of add to all of that, that was also the year in middle school where they put us through uh, what they called expanded curriculum. okay? And that's code word for... All of that stuff that somebody at some point thought, well, we should throw this course into just because at some point it was important, and uh, and and so that was the things like home ec, uh, typing, I you know I guess they call it keyboarding now or whatever. I don't even know what they call it now. Um, uh, and uh, and expanded art and sewing. Okay, I mean, so so let's just say there's no better way to mess with a middle school kid who's already got his ego on the ropes than to tell him that he has to learn how to sew a pillow (laughs) and to try and cook in front of his peers for the first time and then move his fingers quickly over little keys without looking at them. And do them repetitively. Okay, you've been there with me, right? A S D F J K L semicolon return ad nauseum, right? You've done that, right? Okay, yeah. And and don't get me wrong, I'm really thankful for the typing thing now, because I'm doing a lot of writing these days. You know, the whole sermon thing, you need to you need to write that out ahead of time. So okay. <laughs> I have a manuscript, I do not wing it. But the sewing thing, yeah. And yeah, it's still not happening so much for me, all right, but so so it was kind of like saying, "Hey, here, we know you're going to fail at this seventh grade boy, so let's just make it as spectacular as possible." And so it was a really welcome change in the trimester when we got to art. We had gotten finished with we'd gotten finished with the disaster that was Home Ec, and we'd gotten through the drudgery of keyboarding, and now we were to art. and I was like, finally, I'm going to enjoy this part of expanded curriculum this year." I figured we were going to like paint or draw, generally do fun stuff, but no, this was expanded art forms, which is code word for we're going to try lots of stuff that you've never done before and really never heard of before. We're going to make you do strange things like batik and make you play with hot wax as a seventh grader. Yeah, that's going to go over well. Um <laughs> So we did, yeah, it was like batik and printmaking and assembling models. And I don't mean like putting together airplanes. That would have been awesome. I mean like the dioramas and things like that that you have to put together. And then ceramics. Oh, ceramics. Yeah. And you would think that that would go real easy. I mean, think about it. it, it you, would, you would think it would, it's basically playing in the mud, right? You'd, You'd hope that it would go that way, but... I found out very, very quickly that I did not really have a a touch for sculpting clay at at all. Um, And part of that, I think, was definitely the, the seventh grade, boy, my body is doing funny things and I have no skill at anything right now. That factor, okay? But I think the other part of it was I found that I lacked the ability to take what was in my head and make it a reality with the medium, you know? I had this idea of what I wanted in my head, and it was awesome. But then what ensued was a week of me trying to make something awesome, forgetting about awesome, going for pretty good, forgetting about pretty good, and then just going for a coffee mug. And then these were punctuated by numerous trips to get more water as the clay sat there and dried out while I tried to stare it into shape. And that didn't work very well. And then the occasional reboot as I once again just completely mashed my project back into this formless lump and and what I ended up painting and glazing and firing at the end of the week, it could have been a coffee mug. <laughs> it could maybe also have been an ashtray with a convenient handle if anybody in my family smoked, but they didn't, so we call it a coffee mug. Um, it, the real thing that I learned that week is that I was not a master of that medium, Right? And our reading this morning shows someone who is not at all like me. It's someone who has skill, passion, vision, all of these things, right? And we look at this parable that Jeremiah that, that, that Jeremiah tells, and I, I believe it is a parable. It is a story with a meaning behind it because right on it is tacked the answer. You have this image. This story, this parable, and then God adds prophecy to it. And you have this parable that that obviously is talking about both an act and an identity. I think it's kind of interesting. You know, Daniel talked about having all of these names for God and these identities for God this morning. And one that we really look over is this idea of the shaper. The potter. The one who molds and shapes and creates life. The shaper of life. The shaper of souls. Not, not even so much the one who creates in the terms of, of speaking and it appears. I mean, we have that one down from Genesis 1 very, very well. Of God speaks and it happens and creation comes into being and his authority and his glory are manifest in that. But this is a different kind of aspect of creator. We're going to get into that in just a second. But, but it starts out at the potter's house. And as Jeremiah watches this person who obviously has skill and vision and passion, all of those things that that as a 7th grade boy I did not have, okay, for this medium, there is this pivotal point where for whatever reason the clay vessel that the potter is working on becomes misshapen or malformed. And we're not really told why. We're just told that it happens. And I like that. And I think that's actually important for a couple of reasons, okay? One, this is a parable, okay? And much like Jesus' parables, many of the details are left unanswered because there is a singular thrust to the story. This, is, this analogy is not trying to cover everything. Much like Jesus' parables, we're not trying to cover everything. There was a point to the story. There was a singular thrust to the story, And and so we're not really told why. I also think this is important because if if the details are left unanswered and there's no way of knowing whether it's the skill of the potter or the nature of the clay that brings it about, then we're not left to read too much into it. Because if we start applying this to our souls, then immediately we want to start saying, well, why Did it come out this way? Well, why is it this way? And a lot of times when I look at my life and the areas where I am malformed or misshapen, I want to spend most of my time going, well, why did it happen? Not, well, what do we do about it? And just kind of chew on that for a second. And think about it with our lives. I really, really think that as the shaper, God is not near as interested as the reasons of why we're malformed or why we aren't totally what he wants us to be yet as what are we going to do about it. And I think we spend most of our time trying to figure out why it happened. We spend most of our time living backwards, living back at that thing that we did that was wrong, rather than moving forward and saying, well, what are we going to do about it? Well, how are we going to change it? How are we going to allow God's spirit to flow in us and transform us? And change that. And so I think that piece is significant, that we aren't told why it happens, just that it happens. The key of the story, though, is the response of the potter. Even if this marring was due to the nature of the clay, he does not throw it away. Even if there's something fundamentally wrong with his medium right now, sometimes you just get bad clay but he doesn't throw it away. Instead, he crumples it down, he puts it back on the wheel, and he begins reshaping. He starts the shaping process over again. And it's interesting to see that in the language here, it is implied in the Hebrew that this is not something that just happened once. It's more like that Jeremiah sat and watched for a long time and saw this happen and saw it happen again. Saw it happen again. Throughout the course of the potter's work, there were these times where the clay either needed, for one reason or another, the vessel needed anything from a minor tweak to a major overhaul. And the potter does what's necessary to accomplish the vision without removing the medium, without giving up on the material. And then comes this phrase. O house of Israel can I not do with you the way this potter does? Almost like, are you so you are in my hands, Israel, is what God says. And we need to see that image for what it is because without seeing the background and the understanding behind this idea of God as shaper and what that really means, this warning may seem very, very harsh in 7 through 10. Okay? And realize... Israel at the time that Jeremiah has given this vision they are at a crossroads the king Josiah has made efforts to restore Israel to God but those efforts are incomplete and his heir Jehoiakim has not shown the same desires but he hasn't led the he hasn't led the people astray yet and so make no mistake this is a warning this is a prophecy of warning against falling away A warning of leaving things incomplete. A warning of of turning backward. Okay? And God makes it very, very clear and says, you've kind of got two choices. You can go this way or you can go that way. Here are your choices, O Israel. But remember, you're the clay in my hands. Don't forget that. And see, here's the deal. If we don't understand the nature of what it means for God to be the shaper, of life and the shaper of our souls, then this can actually sound very, very discomforting, very, very, uh, very arbitrary, very scary. And I want us to hear what God is saying here. Okay, this is not an arbitrary far-off warning. It is the coaxing of a potter to his clay. It is the coaxing of the Creator to the created, the encourager, right? We have to realize what an intimate image it is for this to have any meaningful connection to us in spiritual formation. The images and the words that the writer uses to describe, and even just in the Hebrew language, to describe a potter are almost the same as to that of a midwife. And even the word for potter's wheel is the same word as the birthing stool that a woman would labor on. It's very interesting how, how, how connected these words are. And I think it's for a purpose. This idea goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, where the Lord of creation muddies his hands, shaping us out of the clay of the earth. From the very, very beginning, God chose with our lives not to stand far away and shape from far away with the sound of his voice. Instead, he used his hands. He took on flesh, right, even, in the form of his son. And got in there, into the midst of the mess, to create. In a very intimate and a very real way. And you have to get that kind of, you have to get that connection in order to hear what God is saying. This is not the warning of a distant an upset ruler God. This is the urging of a creator who is arms deep in his creation, shaping it into what he desires. (laughs) And Israel's at the point where God's going to have to make some changes, and those changes can be big or small, but he will make the changes as necessary to see the finished vessel, to see the finished vision, to see them become what he desires. He says, I'm going to carry this through because I'm your creator, because I love you, because I'm arms deep in it with you. I'm not standing far from you. I'm in it with you. And the warning and the plea is for the clay to be soft, to be malleable, to be broken so that the desired transformation can occur. I think it's important for us to realize that just like the potter and the clay, just like Jehovah and Israel, there's a relationship between the creator and the created in the process of transformation. In order for creation to occur the way that it should, you have to be able to marry the skill of the creator and the willingness of the material being used to create and this is what God is really driving at in this parable, and what we need to take away from this story when we are looking at God and spiritual formation and our lives. What does it mean? What does this spiritual formation idea really mean? It means to be formed into the image of God, to be formed as God intended, to take on the shape and the nature and the function that God intends us to. There has to be some kind of relationship between the master and the material in order for that to happen, right? When you look at this parable, and and when you look at the warning, the real issue in verse 11 and 12, which is past our reading, if you'll you'll read with this, read with me here in uh, Jeremiah 18, 11 and 12... Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you, and I am devising a plan against you. So turn away from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it's no use. We'll continue with our own plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. God saying, look, you're on the verge of, of going, you're on the verge of being this pot that's getting all marred up, and I'm gonna have to kind of like overhaul you and crush you down and reform you. And those are the plan that's the way this looks like it's gonna go. But it doesn't have to be this way. You don't we don't have to we don't have to break hard. We can break soft here, if you're willing. But Israel's great failing in God's eyes is not that they don't have it all together. Hear this very carefully. Israel's great failing is not that they don't have it all together. Israel's great failing right now is that their attitude has been hardened. Do you hear the language? It's no use. It's just the way I am. How many times have we heard that said about us in our own lives? How many times have we said that? about our attitudes or about our practices? How many times have I said that about something that's in my life, that I know God needs to change, but I'm just not open? I'm just not soft enough. Like Israel, we've got to consider our nature as the spiritual clay that God is forming. Are we in harmony with what God's up to in our lives, or are we out of harmony with it? Are our lives easily breakable? Are they easily molded? Are they easily shaped? Or have we been hardened by our attitudes, or by years of comfort, or by past experiences that have left us bitter and brittle and unwilling to be shaped? What kind of clay are we? That's, that's the real question that's being put to Israel. What kind of clay will you be? Will it be easy for me to mold you and shape you? Or are you going to resist the molding and the shaping and it's going to be more difficult? But I am the Lord and you are going to be what I want you to be. Is that something that scares you because you're hard and brittle? And resistant, Or is it something that you welcome because you're soft and open and excited about what God could and will do with you? Do you see the two different attitudes there? When God says to you, I will break you down and make you into what I want you to be, does that scare you? Or does that excite you? Or maybe a little bit of both, right? <laughs> you know? I mean, if we're if we're being honest, you know, it's not like we just go, oh yeah, whatever you want to do, God, you know. I mean, that's scary, okay? I, I I can't I can't think of all the times that I've said, oh God, I want to be so much like these people that I read in Scripture, and then I look at what they went through in their lives. I would never pray for the stuff that happened to them to happen to me. You kidding? You know. Pack up everything and move to a foreign land. Okay, I got that one. Okay, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, you know, (coughs) but the other ones, yeah. Sorry, that just totally came off the top of my head just now. Uh, But, but I mean, seriously, we we may be excited and scared at the same time. But what wins out? Is it the fear and the hardness and the comfort? Are those the things that went out? Or is it the desire to be all that God has intended us to be that wins out? What is it that wins out when we're in the hands of our creator? And let's be honest. We don't like this word broken. I don't like this word broken. This idea of breakability, how easy is it for you to be broken? See, There are some real negative connotations with this word broken. And I don't think all of them apply to what it means to being open and ready for God to shape us. Because we hear broken and we think of something that's shattered or something that's brought down to its base element. And that is true. That is really what this idea of brokenness means. But let me explain what it does not mean. It does not mean something that's useless and has to get fixed. That's not the way that God uses this idea of brokenness. And he doesn't use that brokenness as this idea of like a broken animal where you break something spirit, right? Where you break it down so that it just follows. That's not what God's talking about with brokenness. When I think of this word brokenness, when I think of this idea of breakability, I think of my boots. I love my boots. Okay. I got like one pair, okay? It's they're they're a set of Timberland steel toes. I've had them for like three years now. Um, they have like they've got almost all of the sole like worn off the bottom of them now, and I will probably get them resold before I get a new pair. Okay, they're they're kind of raggedy a little bit. They got some scuffs all over them, but I mean they're steel toes, so they're still holding up pretty good, right? And I wear them probably, I, I pretty much wear them every day at the office. I don't wear them to church on Sundays, but, you know, maybe I will one day now. I don't know. Those things hurt so bad the first month that I got them. Oh, they hurt so bad. Every day I was, you know, it was like the sides and the top of my feet were just like, ah, oh, they were killing me, right? But over time, as I wore them, the leather became supple the insole started to look like my heel and, you know, what little arches that I have, okay? It started to actually feel like my foot belonged there, right? And now, there, I mean, if I didn't have a downstairs neighbor, I would wear them all day, okay? Because, it's frankly, it's more comfortable for me than going barefoot right now, especially since I got those little, like, Dr. Scholl's, you know, suckers in there that help me out, right? I they're broken in, right? They're receptive to my feet. They are shaped like me. And when I slip my foot in there, it belongs there. That's the brokenness we're talking about. The fact that you have been stretched, and you have been shaped, and maybe it has been uncomfortable, but... You are now at the point where you are shaped more like the one who desires to be in you. And you mold to his figure. And you allow him to enter in easily. And you move in step with him. That's the brokenness that we're talking about. That's the breakability thing that we're try- that, I want, that I want us to see in this passage. When the clay stops being hard and rough and resistant, and instead it, tar- it starts taking on the warmth and the softness of the hands of the Creator and moves in motion with Him easily. What is our level of breakability? What is our level of breakability? Daniel, you, know, you guys can. We'll start to close things out. But I want you to consider this. We're going to be talking about this idea of spiritual disciplines over the the course of the spring. Okay? And we don't like that word either, discipline. But I'm going to get into that one next week. Okay? But we're going to be talking about them, what they are, how they work, why God provides them. But I need us to realize something first. Before we can talk about this idea of of discipling ourselves, disciplining ourselves in the way that God wants us to walk, in, in these avenues that he's given us to grow closer, all of them exist for the single purpose of allowing us to be more broken, to be more open, to his transformation, the basis of all spiritual formation, as well as how easy it is and how effective it is, pretty much largely depends on my receptivity, doesn't it? What an amazing thing God has done in allowing me to choose to be brittle or soft, receptive or unreceptive, instead of just manhandling me, right? Right? Or tossing me aside for another piece of clay that doesn't complain so much, right? And this is the beauty of a God who allows us to have a level of breakability, especially if we're willing to be soft, if we're willing to be open. Because then it changes changes how we measure success and failure, doesn't it? Even when we fail to be who God desires us to be, if we are open, if we are easily moldable and easily shapeable, even when we as the clay by our very nature become marred in his hands, it is an easy thing for him to continue his work in us. And failure is not really failure anymore. Failure becomes an occasion for a new working of God's intentions. But hear me in this. We don't engage in spiritual formation in order to change ourselves. Do you hear that? We don't engage in the work of spiritual formation in order to change us. That would be like the clay trying to shape itself. And often that's how I I'll be real with you, often that's how I tend to approach spiritual formation, is that God has said, do this, and I go, okay, do it. But that's not really the way that God gives us the image of spiritual formation here. Instead, it is about our openness to his working. And it's not passive, it's active. We strive, we struggle, we stretch to be open. But we come to it to surrender to the will of the shaper of our souls, to draw into his hands to be washed in his water and warmed by his work on us so that we become flexible and ready to move in step with his vision for our lives. How open are you to God's transforming power? That's the question I really want you to ask yourself right now and through this week. How open are you to God's transforming power? What are the areas that you're resistant to it right now? Maybe a sin that you struggle with. It may be a a situation that you find yourself in. It may be a relationship with a person. I don't know what it is, but I bet you you can name it pretty quick. What are those areas where you are resistant to God's God's transforming power right now? Is there a place where you as the clay are looking at the shaper of your soul and saying, what on earth are you doing? Rather than, I don't understand, or this doesn't necessarily feel good right now, but you're the shaper of my soul, and I will move as you will it. I appreciate everything that's been said about this being a new year with new opportunities for us. And, uh, and we're on day six, and, and let's be real, we probably made a lot of those awesome uh, New Year's resolutions, and we probably broke most of them already, right? Is that a source of discouragement for you where you say "Ah, another year has passed and I'm still where I used to be? Or are you willing to embrace this beautiful blessing that you and I have that we are able to live every minute of every day with that sense of newness, that sense of redemption, that sense of God is moving and working? It all depends on our ability to be broken. It all depends on that breakability, how easily we can be shaped and moved by God. And so I ask you, how open are you to God's transforming power today? How breakable are you willing to be? How, how willing are you to be as the clay to be in the hands of your master and say, have your way? He wants to do good things in you. Are you willing to let him have his way? Let's stand and let's sing together.